Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today is Ed Keller. He is CEO of the Keller Fay Group, an award-winning word-of-mouth research and consulting firm. Keller has been called one of the most recognized names in word-of-mouth advertising and promotion. We're talking to Ed today about his new book, The Face-to-Face Book, Why Real Relationships Rule in a Digital Marketplace. Based on his extensive research and illuminating case studies of leading brands, it demonstrates how in-person social marketing, not online social media, is the key to business success. Ed, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate the play on words with the title of your book, The, the Face-to-Face Book. Uh, thank you. <laughs> if, if title sells books, that's a pretty good one. Well, I must say that uh, there there are probably hundreds, if not thousands, of books out there telling us how we should get social media right and how social media is so important. And most of the information being crammed down our throats in terms of business owners or leaders of organizations is get your social media right. And then you come along and say, well, hold on a second here, cowboy. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is not so important. So first of all, uh, tell me, how you came to the point of this was a topic of interest to you and you decided to do research in this area. What caught your attention about social media versus the word of mouth that you're going to be talking about? So it's a great question, and I completely agree with you that there's a, a huge amount of interest right now in the business community about, about social media and all things social. And, you know, we think the things that have been achieved by Facebook and and, and other companies in in the social realm are are significant and 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 a lot to be admired. But when it comes to their impact on business and their and their impact as marketing tools, we think that they're maybe overblown and people have lost perspective. And that's the perspective that we try to bring. And, and the way I came to this, uh, my previous book was a book that came out um, about eight years ago called The Influentials, and it was helping businesses to try to identify the, the people who have disproportionately large um, effect on other people, the go-to people who we seek out for advice and recommendations. And, 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 and during that time, that was before the, the social media era, but we knew then that word of mouth was extremely important, and we knew that most of it took place offline. I then started my own company, uh, it's a market research firm that specializes in word of mouth about six or seven years ago. And we did it with an eye toward helping to provide a, a holistic view of, of word of mouth about products, services, and brands. And we wanted to be able to pick up the word of mouth that took place online through social media as well as through the emailing and texting and so on and the amount that took place offline. And we started doing this on, an, on a continuous basis every week out of the year back in, in 2006, and we continue on to this day. And one of the, the, the most important and fundamental findings that has been that about 90% of all conversations about products and brands still takes place offline and mostly face-to-face. 
hence the name of the book, the Face-to-Face book, and our mission with the Face-to-Face book and with all the work that my firm does is to say to marketers, you know what? Word of mouth is incredibly important. It's the way consumers make decisions today. There's a huge social wave that is washing across the American landscape, and business better understand it, participate in it, embrace it. But if you think all the action is happening via online social media, you're really just focusing on a very small percentage and a surprisingly small percentage, and you're missing out on the many other ways consumers are interacting with your brands and that you as a business need to be able to interact with the consumer as a result. That's an interesting statistic that 90, you said 90% of all conversation or brand conversation you said happens offline? 90% happens offline and of the 10% that happens online, we break that down further and only about 2% is through social media. More people IMing or texting each other And then there's a group that also email each other. So even what we consider to be online is not all online social media. So the numbers for online social media are significant. There's statistics that we quote in the face-to-face book uh, that actually come from a third party that says, you know what, there's about 25 billion brand impressions that are created through social media every year. 25 billion is is a huge number. And if I was in business and somebody talked about 25 billion brand impressions, I would take notice as well. The part that's not as often quoted, and this is the, the, the message that we're trying to drive home, is the amount of offline conversation is 750 billion brand impressions through word of mouth each year. So the, the 25 billion gets a lot of attention because everything digital is able to be measured easily and it, and it gets reported and, and, it, and it grows at a decent clip. It's that much, much, much bigger, that $750 billion number that does not get as reported as often, and, and people lose sight of the fact that even in this age of technology, we all spend a lot of time talking with family members at home, with colleagues in the workplace, with neighbors, whether we're on the, you know, the baseball field watching our kids play Little League or we're at you know, church or synagogue. We, we spend a lot of time face-to-face, and an awful lot of conversation takes place through that channel. And yet I would venture to say that 90% of the conversation going on today is about social media. I think that's right. There's <laughs> a, we liken it in the book to, to the idea of, uh, of, of, of the gold rush and the gold rush mentality. When gold was discovered out in California, there was gold. Some people got rich, but huge numbers of people all went rushing across the country and thought they were going to find their fortunes, and almost all of them came up empty-handed. So it's not that there's nothing there. There is. There's companies that are doing things well. They're doing it in a smart way. But it's, it's a shiny new object, but it doesn't mean that that's where all the action is. And if you're a business, you need to really step back and understand where do the conversations that drive your business really take place? Which chips do you want to put onto social media? But we would heartily recommend that you save a lot of chips for other channels. When you say the conversations are taking offline or, or word of mouth, I mean, are, are you truly talking the traditional word of mouth where I say, hey, Ed, I went to this great restaurant, and, and you got to try the, the cavatelli because it's really great. Is that the word of mouth you're talking about? That is the word of mouth I'm talking about. And we would argue that the sort of the notion of what could be thought of as, quote, good old-fashioned word of mouth is not a, it's not a vestige of a bygone era. It's still 
alive and kicking, and and it's and it's and it's critical to business performance. Great. I, I just want to make sure that for our audience, we're we're talking about the same thing. So there is this online communication that exists, and everybody's talking about. There's the traditional word of mouth that's been around since man could start talking. I'm imagining, right? It has exactly. to be the original form of uh, promoting products and goods. Let's talk about the fundamental differences then between the two different ways of communicating. There's the online way, and then, of course, there's the offline way. And whatever one you want to talk about first, there's got to be some rules around both of those. So so, so let me just talk about a few things, because one of the reasons people focus so much on online is there's a, a view that if you and I are talking, that's one-on-one. Maybe there's a few other buddies of ours who are sitting at the table, too, so maybe it's a small group, three or four people. And there's a belief that if somebody posts something on social media that it has the potential to be seen by hundreds, thousands, and if you're really lucky, you know, tens of thousands, if not, you know, more. And that's all true in principle, but it's not really the way it works most of the time. Most people, you know, have about 100, 150 people who they, who they include among their Facebook friends. And most of the time, and we've done research on this, when somebody posts something online, it gets seen by about 10% of the people because it, you know, it gets posted and it makes it into a news feed. But if you're not watching, it may come, it, it may go. So the idea that there's literally, you know, thousands and thousands of people being reached, it's not the case for, for most people most of the time. So the numbers that can be reached online are material, but they're not huge, huge numbers. So there's a, there's a reality check that needs to take place. Uh, second, there's some very interesting academic research that's been done, which looks at the differences, not just in the volume of offline versus online, but what is it that motivates people to post things about brands online, and what is it that motivates people to talk about things offline? And this is what I think is, is, is really critical to understand. The things that people post online and, 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 and the things that drive them to do so, it's all about social signaling, these academics tell us. So it says something about me when I post something online. I've got tickets for a a hot show. I've just uh, been to a very cool place on vacation that I want to tell other people about. I want to, you know, let let the world know that I've got the the new technology product that's that's just come out. Whatever it is. So social signaling is number one. Functional reasons is number two. You know, I'm having troubles with something. Can anybody help me? You know, this is the way something works. And emotional sharing is third on those list of priorities. When we look at, at offline conversations, the things that people will talk about face-to-face, the order flips itself around. So emotional sharing becomes number one. I'm excited about something. I'm annoyed. I'm angry. I'm in awe. Positive or negative emotions, that's the thing that people like to share offline. Functional reasons are number two. And social signaling becomes third on the, on the list or at the bottom of the list. So beyond the notion that there's many more conversations offline than online, there's also these differences that take place in motivations. And so if I'm a brand marketer, I need to think about the fact that is, is what I have to say, does it fit the consumer's need and desire to use online for social signaling, or am I more about emotions, in which case that's going to guide me toward, 
or offline conversation. So it's really important to understand the, the difference between what's the message and where is that message most likely to be told. We can't just assume everything is going to be best for online or everything's going to be best for offline. It has a lot to do with the story, stories that, that, that about our brand that we're hoping consumers will, will tell and, and which channel makes the most sense. So what I hear you saying is the emotion behind what we talk about at the office. For example, I can't believe the New England Patriots are playing so well again this year. Looks like they're on another roll. That motivation is different than the conversation I would have online. For example, I'm frustrated with this software program I can't seem to get to operate correctly. Exactly. Or I've just been to Hawaii, check out my picture of the Black sure. Sand Beach, something that's really unusual and if you were talking about it offline, it doesn't mean that's not something we would be willing to talk about, but something that might be seen as mundane or everyday, back and forth, is not something I'm going to post online. When I'm posting it online, you know, I just, I've, as an example, I, I've just started watching Homeland. But I'm, but I'm unlikely to post, love the first season of Homeland, because everyone online is going to look at it and say, huh? Well, where, you, where have you been? It's, it's, it's not the kind of thing that, that, that I'd be willing to stand up and say online, but I'm perfectly willing to talk about it, and I get a great reaction from people, and I engage in a conversation about it with people offline. So there's just different, different channels that work better. And we are taught, especially in the sales realm, that people buy off emotion. And yet when you talk about online, you talk about the functionality of that. So should we leave emotion out of what we do on our online communication? You know, it's, it's a little hard to generalize. I, I was saying functional was second on both lists. It's okay. Social signaling that was number one for online, and emotions was number one for offline. So what I am saying is that as we think about advertising and emotional appeals, the most likely way that those are going to get talked about is offline. It's less likely that they will be, you know, some will get shared online for sure, but it's more about sort of what's, what's new, what's hot, what's the latest and greatest. And to help put that in perspective, same academics looked at all the conversations that take place about brands online. It turns out that two-thirds of them are in three categories out of about 15 or, or 20 that were looked at. And those three categories are media and entertainment, so there's certainly a lot of social conversation that goes on now around television in particular, and particularly with the reality shows where people, you know, they, they tweet and they post about their favorite, you know, people on, on, on The Voice or The X Factor or American Idol or, or whatever it would be. But there's a lot of characters online that people like to talk about. So media and entertainment is one-third of all online conversation about, about brands or maybe, the, you know, I went to see the latest movie this weekend, loved it. And then another one-third is about two other categories, automotive and technology. So three categories make up two-thirds of all conversation that takes place online about brands, whereas offline, media and entertainment is a big category, but food and dining is the number one category. Beverages is a big category offline. The things that we do every day, shopping and, and retail, people having conversations about you know, where the best deals are and, uh, and, 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 and something they saw when they went shopping for, for Christmas at Kohl's or at you know, Walmart or Target, whatever it might be. So there's much more of an even spread offline. Online is very concentrated around certain categories, and if we think about technology and we think about automotive, those kind of fit the, the social signaling. And so if you're in a lot of brand categories, while you might think 
online's a place to be, just realize there's not a lot of conversation about your brands. If you're in, you know, personal care and beauty, if you're in um, even even travel, a lot more. While while rating and review sites are big online, a lot of the conversations are still taking place offline. I came out of the advertising marketing arena. That's where I started. And when I was on the street selling years ago, you know, the resistance I would get sometimes would, uh, a local business owner would say, well, I'm not going to advertise with you because word of mouth is my best advertising. Part of the problem being, though, Ed, is you really can't control word of mouth, or can you? You can't control it, but if you understand it, you can execute your marketing in a way that will increase the chances of word of mouth success. So, oh boy! Okay, so tell me all about that. So when you were just saying that you know we've got a listener out there and they've just been you know either dipping their toe or jumping into the the social media lake and thinking that they're they're on the right track and now here comes Ed Keller and says no you got to rethink it all. Actually, what we would say is that all media and marketing has the opportunity to help drive word of mouth. So really, what we would say is you know what there may be a number of things that you're doing today that are contributing to your word of mouth. We find that advertising plays a huge role in sparking word of mouth. And this was a, this was a fascinating finding for us when we started to see this, because to your point about the person who said, you know, my business is being driven by word of mouth, so I don't need advertising. Well, you know what? What is it that people talk about when they talk about brands? Well, they talk about their personal experience with the product. So if they love it, they hate it. Uh, that's certainly a key thing that they talk about. But 25% of the time when they talk about brands, they're actually talking about advertising relating to those brands. So the right type of advertising can play a huge role in helping to get people talking. You know, one of the examples that we give in the, uh, in the book, we, we interviewed the CMO from, from Miller Coors. And, and, and Coors Light, they've spent a lot of time thinking about the fact that what is it that they can do? There's a, this huge penetration and brand awareness in their category. What can they do? Well, they started spending a lot of time thinking about their cans, the product packaging, and what could they do that would be innovative and would get people talking. And so if you think about the, the cold-activated cans where the mountains turn blue when the beer's at the right temperature for, you know, for Coors Light, that was a big investment on their part to try to create a, a talk-worthy innovation to get people talking about them, and it's worked wonderfully. They did the same thing with, with the wide mouth venting so that the beer pours better. Well, these are all things that, that they spent time thinking about, realizing that they needed to get people talking about their brands, talking about their category, and where could they find innovation? They could do it in the product packaging. We would say, you know what? That's a form of owned media. That's something that they control, and, and they thought about it from a word-of-mouth point of view. There's another agency that we profile in the book. It's Crispin Porter, and it's it's an ad agency that has a reputation for generating a lot of word of mouth for its clients. And and a lot of people, they were the agency of the year for the you know the 2000s. And a lot of people say, well, how did they do it? Well, we interviewed the, the chief creative officer, and one of the things that he told us is he said when someone comes to pitch a creative idea within our agency, you know, that the copywriters and the art directors, instead of sort of running with what everybody sits around and thinks is a great idea and hoping it will achieve a word-of-mouth success at the back end, the first thing that we tell them they have to do is they have to come and have written a press release 
if this ad gets made, what is it that the press is going to say about it? And, you know, what it is that the press is going to say about it, it's a lot like what's the consumer going to say about it. They're thinking about that at the front end. And if somebody can't articulate right up front, what are people going to say and how do we bake that conversation into all of our ideas, then the ad doesn't get through. And so there's people who sort of have a process for thinking about what's the idea, what's talk worthy. And if we can think about that up front in our new product development, if we can think about it in our marketing, if we can think about it in our, in our targeting, um, you know, who's going to be talking about us and what, what are they interested in? The more you think about it up front, the more you have an opportunity to succeed at the other end. Do you think Apple is an example of a company that does it right? Apple is absolutely a company that does it right. Uh, There's an example I'd I'd like to give about Apple because every place we go, if we ask people to think about the the most talked about brands, Apple's always on the the top three list, and and it is. If you take all the Apple product, uh, Mac computers and iPads and iPods and iPhones and iTunes, you take the the whole suite, the Apple group of brands are number one, the most, most talked about brand in America overall. So, yes, they absolutely do it right. Apple has very little presence on social media. They're not on Twitter all that much. They're not on Facebook. Apple thinks about the wow factor in their product, and they do tap into that emotion that people have. People have an emotional connection to their Apple products. They think about that a lot. If you go back and you read the biography of Steve Jobs, the Walter Isaacson biography, he talks about when the Apple stores were launched, and people thought Apple was crazy when they went into the retail business. Why would they want to do that? It's a low-margin business. There's already the, you know, the Best Buys and the other consumer electronics stores. Well, Steve Jobs realized, and he, and he told his management team, he said, we have to be able to have a conversation directly with our consumers. We have to know what they're thinking and doing and saying with our products. And the only way we can do that is by interacting with them at retail. If we don't have a retail presence, we can't be talking directly to our customers. So they thought about word of mouth when they went into the retail business. And if you think about the way that the Apple stores are laid out and contrast it to what's been the traditional way that other consumer electronics you know, get displayed, they're, they're at tables. It's almost like their family style. I get to come in and I get to you know, experience the new iPhone or experience the, you know, the iPad mini or whatever, and I do it, I'm standing across from you, you're playing with it, I'm playing with it, I'm next to somebody, people strike up conversations, it lends itself to conversations, and people get charged up in the Apple store, they talk to each other, they feel compelled to talk to people when they leave the store, it is a buzz machine for them, and they say it's about 16% of their sales come through the Apple stores, but a very disproportionate share of their word of mouth is generated as a result of those stores. And, and so I would just use that as one example of, of a priority around the importance of being able to talk to consumers and knowing the types of things that would get people talking and the value that it would bring to the business. And that's one of the reasons why I think Apple is a great word-of-mouth brand. And is one way to bridge from word-of-mouth to digital the use of testimonials? The use of testimonials and real people is a great way to try to generate word of mouth and, and to prove that you're, that you're authentic and an authentic brand. And maybe some of your listeners will remember a, a great campaign that, that came out a few years ago by, by Domino's. And it's, it's one of the case studies that we profile in the book. We started looking for brands that were achieving real word-of-mouth momentum. And then once we found them, we went and we started interviewing the, the brand managers and then top executives in those companies to understand why. And, and Domino's was one of them. And the campaign I'm talking about is one where the, uh, the, the two people from Domino's, who turn out to be the, 
the head chef and one other person, they go knocking on somebody's door, and they say to them, you know, are you the one who said this pizza stinks, it tastes like cardboard, and then they, and then they go back to a focus group. So these were real people who had participated in real focus groups and thought the Domino's pizzas were no good at all. And Domino's went and they, they totally overhauled their, their whole, um, you know, their whole recipe and, 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 and came up with an entirely new pizza. And instead of doing the traditional thing, which would have been to say new and improved and nobody would have believed it, Domino's said, you know what? We need to tackle this head-on. We need to acknowledge that our pizzas were bad before, and now they're good. And the best way to do that was by having real-life people in what was basically a before-and-after format, but in a very clever and creative way. The focus group is the person saying it's really bad, and they have to do something about it. And why don't they let the head chef have more of a chance to change things around and fix this problem? And then there's the head chef, and he gives them a new pizza, and they taste it, and, and they love it. And it, it creates quite, quite an impact and it's a, it's, a, it's a great idea, and from a word-of-mouth point of view, you know, it's totally br- it's brutally honest advertising, and, 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 and it's real people, and people related to it well, and the word-of-mouth started going up dramatically, and sales started going up, and the stock price started going up, and, 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 and great things happened. But it, it all started with the notion of, you know, what is it that's going to that's gonna sort of uh, be different enough that's going to get people to pay attention, and when they pay attention to start talking about it and brutally honest advertising through real-life testimonials is, is one of those things. And if I can, this just sort of illustrates a point. You know, when we were talking about the role of technology and social media and people jumping on the social media bandwagon, the only problem with that is it literally puts the cart before the horse. Before you think about a technology strategy, we would argue you need to start with a, a people strategy. And the way to think about social isn't to start by thinking about social media. It's to start by thinking about social consumers. And what is it about consumers that gets them talking? And, and to us, it's, it's a fairly fundamentally important but somewhat simple to understand uh, approach that you need to take. And it starts with your story. What is it that's going to get people talking within your category and about your brand? What's the story? Once we know what the story is, then we think about how to tap the right talkers. Who are the people within our category and for our brand who are going to be talking about us? And what do we understand about them? What is it about our product that they talk about? When do they talk? Why do they talk? And through what channels? And so only after we've got the story and we know who the right talkers are, then should we be thinking about the channels. And maybe social media has a role to play. Maybe we need to be doing television advertising. We need to be thinking about our product packaging. Maybe it's our brand website, and so we can think about digital, but maybe it's not online social media. Brand websites are a huge spark for conversations. Maybe it's something we can do in the retail environment. And all of a sudden, at that point, we start thinking about a a multitude of channels and a a whole bunch of different ways to try to reach consumers. But we're doing it based upon knowing the story that we hope will be told and the people who are likely to tell it and understand those two things. And then we get to the channels. Too many marketers today start with, I need a Facebook strategy. I need a Twitter strategy. They're going straight to the solution before they go through the, the proper process. And if they come up with a winning formula in that way, it's more luck than it is strategy. So they really need a, a social consumer strategy, and that will ultimately lead them down the pathway to success. Ed, you get into this in your book about the misperception of how Barack Obama used social media to win the election. Share with our audience your insight on that. You know, there was a, a, a belief very much in 2008, and in some quarters even more in 2012, that 
Obama's campaign was all about its use of social media and all the people who followed the president on Twitter. And, you know, if, it, if he signed it, B.O., you knew it was Barack Obama. He was tweeting himself. These things all, you know, became topics of, of conversation. But if you, if, if you talk to people in the campaign and, and you follow what they, what they talked about in terms of what was the, the key to success for them in, in, in 2008, and, and I think we've seen many of the same things in, in 2012, they talk about it was the ground game. It was the get-out-the-vote operation. And the, get, and the ground game and the get-out-the-vote operation was encouraging real people to talk to their friends and their neighbors. And in 2008, the, the people who were in charge of the field operation said, you know what, in order for us to win, we needed to convince people who had, were not comfortable voting for Democrats they didn't really say it, but I think it, it was also the case. We're not necessarily comfortable voting for an African-American. We need to get people comfortable with that. And the, and the way people are going to get comfortable is by having a neighbor who they trust and know personally say, you know what, I'm voting for Barack Obama, and here's why. And, and that's where the credibility and the persuasion uh, came to play. So it came into play. So they were, you know, they talked about the fact that the uh, that, 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 that technology was a net for them. It helped them to, uh, to, to collect names. It helped make it easier for them to, uh, to get in touch with people. You know, one of the reasons why the Obama people were so keen to have these huge events is everybody who went gave a, an email address and a cell phone number, and they could stay in touch with them. But at the end of the day, what they encouraged people to do was go knock on doors, pick up the phone and call somebody. Their, their focus was on ultimately the persuasion is going to come based upon personal contact through trusted uh, neighbors, friends, relatives, uh, and the like. And so the, the perception that it was a social media-driven campaign was a, was a, was a complete misperception, and, it, and, it's, and it's not at all what the people who worked on the campaign would say. Also in your book, you have a section where you say that um, social media is basically not a sales tool. Tell our audience about your insight on that. Well, you know, I think to the extent that social media is, is a powerful medium, it is about creating awareness, and it is about creating an association between something that a friend of mine might be doing, and, and maybe I find out about it through social media. But again, I think the idea that it's going to work, you know, literally to lead to sales, there were just some statistics that came out around Black Friday, and, you know, a fraction of 1% of sales, according to IBM, could be attributed to social media. It's not what's driving people to make decisions. In fact, if we want to think about the technology that drives people to make decisions, it's much more likely that search is close to the, uh, to the, to the decision-making process. And, and, and a fascinating piece of research we've done has been between the, the interface between offline face-to-face -face conversation and search that's enabled by mobile devices. If you and I are sitting together and we're having lunch someplace and we start talking about something, there's some reasonably good chance that one of us during the course of that conversation is going to pull out a smartphone, search for something, and either call up some additional information, find out where it's available for sale, learn what the price is, see the ratings and reviews. And so when we talk about the power of offline, it doesn't mean that people are disconnected from technology, but it's not necessarily the social media technologies that are, that are at the core there. It can be the interface between real-world conversation and technology, 
mobile-driven technology, or it could be, you know, sitting and watching television together. Those technologies play a big role in helping to spark conversation and, and to help move people along to the decision. So it's not anti-technology, but it is understanding that the conversations that make a difference in the place that decisions are made and persuasion takes place is through those offline face-to-face conversations. Teenagers and young adults today are no question more digital in their communication. Ed, do you see word of mouth going away in the future because of this? So what I would say about that is, first of all, our research shows that when we look at younger people, and I'm thinking about teens and young uh, 20-somethings, they are more likely than the average to be using technology when it comes to word of mouth about their you know, about about brands. But even among that group, a strong majority still have many more brand conversations offline than online. So the, the two, three percent that takes place through social media and the, you know, 10 percent altogether that takes place online, that goes up to, uh, you know, sort of double that. And the number of offline conversations comes down. But the number of offline conversations is still the majority, and it's still much more than their online conversation. And if if you think about, say, teenagers, yes, they're on Facebook quite a lot, but they also, they go to school together, they go to the mall together, they hang out in each other's homes on the, on the weekends, they're still together face-to-face in large groups a lot of the time, sometimes combined with technology. And so your example about texting back and forth, yes, they, they do text back and forth and maybe do so more than picking up the phone and calling each other, but that doesn't mean they don't spend a lot of time within their own peer group still face-to-face. Ed, what's the one piece of advice you want to leave with our audience today? We'd like to leave the audience with the thought that the social part of social media is incredibly important. But if we think about social media as being online social media, we're, we're, we're selling short the enormous social opportunity that's out there. And in fact, we would argue that all media are social. And we can think about the goal of all of our media and marketing should be to unlock people's true social nature. And when you do that, your marketing investment is going to pay off in spades. And so instead of having a kind of a siloed approach to think, social is over in this silo and everything else I do is, is over here. All your media and your marketing have a social goal in mind. And if you can think about things that way, you're tapping into what is a huge revolution that's taking place in the marketplace and your marketing investment is going to pay off and your business is going to grow and thrive as a result. Our guest is Ed Keller. His book is The Face to Facebook. Ed, if people want to learn more about your topic, where would they go? Our website is kellerfay.com, K-E-L-L-E-R-F-A-Y.com. That's a great place to start. Ed, I feel like we just touched the surface of this topic, and it's been a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks very much. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.